So we're kicking off this new series tonight, and it's called Straw Cab. And um, I put it on Insta- uh, social media yesterday, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. And I know people were commenting on it, like, I'm going to stay up as late as it takes me to figure out what this means. Um, some of you guys were be- be getting, you know, becoming very creative. You were taking the numbers on the Scrabble boards, adding them up, and trying to figure out if it was my age or something. I heard some interesting different theories. Um, actually, this is a Greek word for a carriage made out of straw. A straw carriage. I'm just kidding. It's the word backwards, backwards, people. Come on. Come on. Right? It's not that bad. And so we're kicking off a series called Backwards. Now, since I was a kid, I've had this strange talent. It's one of my finer attributes. It's my ability to see and say words backwards. And so all grown up, I always called my family members their names backwards. And so it was Peter, Cheryl, Jeanette, and I'm Doug, obviously. So it was Retep, Larish, Etanaj, and Guad. And then I've got now, I got Kelly, and I got Cade, and Bryn, and Landon. So it's Elek, Edak, Nurb, and Dadnall. So I don't know. It just... It just kind of flows. I don't know. It's very strange. But, you know, kind of like I enjoy doing that, I I feel like just like I can kind of look at things and see them and do them backwards, I think as Christians, we often also do things backwards. We kind of see things backwards and we do things backwards. Like there are some things in God's word that says, hey, do things this way. And it's kind of like we look at that and we go, nah, I'm going to kind of do the opposite of that. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way that I think is going to be best. And so for a few weeks, I want to challenge some of the ways that I think this is true of us. And it's a little bit intense. It's a little bit kind of in our face. But I want to tell you something. The things that I'm going to bring up are things that I struggle with, okay? So if you're here tonight going, man, this guy's a little bit intense tonight. He's a little fired up, which I probably will be. Um, I want to let you know that I am preaching to myself along with the rest of us. Because the things we're going to talk about for the next three weeks are things that I don't know that we wake up thinking about. You know, I'll just throw some things out there. We're not going to be talking about, you know, pornography or, or drug addiction or alcohol or gossip necessarily. I mean, that might get thrown in there a little bit, but, but we're not talking about, this isn't like a come down on sin thing. This is kind of a come down on Christian mindset thing and the way that we interact with culture and the way we interact with each other. And so we're going to be challenging just some kind of things that are in us that maybe we aren't even aware are a problem. And so one of the things that I want to talk about is this thought, is this kind of attitude that I think prevails in a lot of us. I think so often that when we walk into a room, here's kind of the attitude we bring into that room. It's that everybody else's sin struggle is the biggest deal in that room, right? We walk into the room, it's just kind of like, yeah, I know what's wrong with that guy. I can tell you what's wrong with her. And I know what she did to hurt me. And I know what he said about her. And, and it's like we walk in and everybody else's sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. And if that's true in our mind, then what does that mean about us? That means that our strength, sin struggle, is certainly not even near the biggest struggle or deal in the room, right? It's everybody else has the problem. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't think we'd ever say this out loud. And I also think it's interesting because I think we all know the deep brokenness of our own self, right? We know and struggle with and maybe beat ourselves up over things that we've done, and yet often the attitude that we portray is, Your sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room, especially when we deal with people outside these church walls. Now, this is a big problem for us. This is is called judging. This is straw cab, guys. This is backwards. This is something that is off, that is not right, that we're known for as Christians, that we have to reverse. We have to stop doing this backwards. We have to decide, okay, we're going to do this the way that God calls us to do this. And the issues that come up when we judge people, when we're, when we're critical of people, when we look at people as though we're better and they're worse, that we have it together and they don't, the issues that arise are, are we, we're proud in our interactions with people instead of humble, right? 
Like, when you and I have a full view of our own brokenness, it causes some humility in our life. But when we are just kind of feeling like we're it and we have everything together, or at least that's what we're trying to portray. It's another, another issue in the church is that we kind of like have these masks on and we just show you what we want you to see, which is another issue. Maybe that'll be the fourth part of the series. I don't know. We'll see. But, but I think that's another struggle that we have, but it kind of ties in with what we're talking about today because we come in kind of looking like we have everything together and the attitude we put off is everybody else must not. I think another thing is we're graceless instead of graceful, Right? Like, as Christians, we're not known, and this is terrible, we got to change this, we're not known as people who give second chances and third chances and tenth chances and, and a hundredth chances. chances. We're, we're known as kind of like one strike and you're out people, right? And isn't that crazy? Because think about how many chances you've been given and I've been given. Think about how many chances God has given us when we haven't deserved it in the first place. I think that this often makes us come across angry instead of loving because self-righteous people are really angry. A lot of the time, aren't they? They're angry at everybody and everything. And they kind of have like a lot of buttons you, buttons you could push. I love pushing self-righteous people's buttons. It's just amazing. It's like, oh, that bothers you? Cool, I'm going to do that like every time I see you forever. Like it's never going to stop. But that's just my own sinfulness coming out. But that's okay because their sin struggle is worse than mine. So um, here as we talk about these things, we, we realize, wow, like these are some problems. I think another thing that, that happens when we're like this is we repel people, especially non-Christians, instead of attract them to Jesus. We repel them. We push them away. And this is so insane. You know why this is so crazy? Because the only person who ever lived that had the right to make people feel badly about how they lived was Jesus, because he actually was perfect and holy and pure. But he's the one who didn't do that, right? I mean, think about this for a second. The people who were most drawn to Jesus were the people who were least like him. And the people, listen, who thought they were the most like Jesus nailed him to a cross. And Jesus' harshest words were for the people who thought that they were so religious and so together. And so the one person who had the opportunity to make people feel badly and repel them because of their lifestyle drew, drew them in. And he had the nickname Friend of Sinners, right? That was one of Jesus' nicknames, which I'm, I'm shooting for that, man. That's my new goal in life. How can I get called that? The Friend of of sinners, the friend of the broken, the friend of the hurting, the friend that nobody else wants to maybe hang out with, with that people group or this people group. How do we work toward being those kinds of followers of Jesus? I think it has a lot to do with this. And so we so badly need to be more like Jesus in this way. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody reach in your pocket. I want you to pull out your imaginary mirror. Everybody put your hand up. Come on, put your hand up. Put your hand up. I am not Mr. Rogers. Put your hand up. All right. Very good. Okay. What I want you to do is, and I, I remind you of this every once in a while, I want you to be looking at your mirror through the whole service. You don't have to actually look at your hand. You can put your hand down. But I want you to have your mirror in front of you through the whole service because I think in a sermon like this, what we're tempted to do is go, man, I wish so-and-so were here because he so badly needs to hear this. I wish so-and-so were here because she, she so badly needs to hear this. Man, she's like the biggest sinner I know. She is a mess. If only she could hear this message. No, look in your own mirror. And think about you. Think about the struggles that you might have. Don't think about somebody else. Don't worry about anybody else tonight. Just worry about you. And so we're going to talk about this, this issue, that we always walk into the room and feel like everybody else's sin struggle is the biggest struggle in the room. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, i got to kind of just put the whole service on pause, and I just want to talk to you for a second. I want to first say thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. You're always welcome. The second thing I have to say is that I'm so, so sorry for the way 
that you've been treated by Christians. See, I would guess if you're not a follower of Jesus, one of the reasons that you're not is because of the way that you've been treated by Christians. I would guess that many of you in your lives have had a bad interaction with a judgmental Christian. And part of the reason you may not want anything to do with God is because of having spent some time with people who call themselves Christian. I just want to let you know that's never the way Jesus intended. That's not what Jesus was like. And so today we're going to see what Jesus is like and what he wants you, uh, his followers to be like. So we're going to look at something really powerful that Jesus had to say on the Sermon on the Mount. This was a time he walked up a mountain. All these people were around him. He was kind of like a rock star at this point. And all these people are following him. And everywhere he went, crowds would follow. And so he's up on the side of this mountain. He just begins to teach and preach. And, and he talks for a while. But eventually, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And that's really what we're doing. We walk in the room and feel like everybody else's sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. We're judging them. Now, this word judge in the Greek means to pass judgment upon. And so simply, what Jesus is saying here is don't pass judgment upon somebody else because if you do, it's going to be passed upon you. Now, this doesn't mean that like if you work somewhere and you're a manager or if you're a teacher or a boss or, or some of you guys who are parents or one day when you are parents, or, it doesn't mean you can't ever say something to somebody that to bring correction, right? It doesn't mean, you know, as somebody who's trying to help somebody else learn, you can't point out a flaw or an issue or, hey, come on, be on time to work or whatever that might be. That's not what it's saying. And what we're talking about today is we are talking about hypocritical judgment. And hypocritical judgment is when you and I come down harsh on other people and we give ourselves a pass. It's when we're incredibly critical of the people around us for their shortcomings. But we kind of don't really worry too much about our own shortcomings. And when we do this, we treat people badly. We talk about people badly. You know what else we do? We try to get people kind of on our team against so-and-so. And we start building teams and we start having our own little kind of party over here. Everybody's against that person over there. And that's what we do when we see Everybody around us is their sin being worse and ours being somehow better. Look at verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. This is when we highlight others' failures, but we kind of give ourselves a pass. This is when we celebrate other people's shortcomings. Can we talk about that for a second, how messed up that is? You know, I hate when you hear on the news or something that a Christian pastor had an affair or something like that happened. That, that's terrible. But you know what I almost hate more is when Christians celebrate the fact that that guy fell. Almost like, hey, I saw that coming, man. I never liked that guy anyway. Like, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that we would be broken for somebody like that. And we would go, listen, I'm capable of the same thing that guy did. I could so easily, I mean, my gosh, in a heartbeat, one bad decision, it's by the grace of God, I'm not that guy. And so, your heart and my heart in those situations and those scenarios should be brokenness, not celebration over somebody's shortcomings, not passing judgment, because if we pass judgment on others, it'll be passed on us. And then it says this, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this doesn't jump out to you and me tonight, but this jumped out to Jesus' first century listeners, okay? They understood what he meant here. 
What do you mean? Well, if you went out to the store tonight and you went to buy something, you could look on the package. It would tell you, okay, this is one pound, five ounces. This is how much you're buying. Well, back in the day, they had to measure everything on the spot, right? So if you went to the market to get some grain, they would have a scale up on a table and they would have a weight on this side and a bucket on this side and they'd fill the grain up in the bucket on this side. And when the weight measured out, you'd know, okay, cool, I just got a pound of grain. Well, what the people in that day would do if they were dishonest, is they'd use different weights at different times. So they'd use one weight when they were buying and one weight when they were selling. So they could get more when they're buying and give out less when they're selling and rip people off. And so they, the one weight was too heavy and the other weight was too light. And you know what? I think guys, sometimes we weigh other people's shortcomings too heavily. And we, we weigh our own too lightly. And that's what we do when we walk in the room and we say, hey, you're the biggest sinner in the room. Your sin struggle is the biggest problem, the biggest deal in this room. Now, this is a little tricky, though, right? We have to think about this. And, and guys, I get it. Um, I've told you guys this before. My mom was a really great pianist, and uh, she, she just playing the piano, man. She, sometimes I was like, you got to be using, like, your feet, too. Like, how are you hitting all those notes and doing all that? Like, it's ridiculous, you know? And she was incredible. And because of doing that for so many years, she had these incredibly strong hands. And she'd come up behind you at Christmas dinner, and you're, like, stuffed, belts open. You'd, like, you know, like, life to, you know, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And you come back to life, you can eat some more dessert, you know, and you're ready to just die. You know Christmas mode? Just me? Okay. Um, and so she'd just come up behind you, and she just starts to give you, like, a little bit of a massage behind you. And you're like, oh, that feels good, Ma. Thanks. Yeah. And then for some reason, like, you didn't know if she was mad at you or what, but she would get, like, more and more intense. And before you're like, Ma, could you stop? I'm going to break, you know? Like, this doesn't feel good anymore, you know? But I know that her heart was, she saw, like, just tense Doug over there, and her heart was to do good. And that's my heart for you guys in this series. I know it, like, it feels a little bit painful when we talk about things like this, but it's for our good. And so as we're, as we're talking about this whole issue of don't judge or you'll be judged, don't use these, these false measures or you'll have those same measures used against you. Here's a thought I think some of us have, but wait, Doug, if I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, then how can I ever be judged? If I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, then why would ever some kind of unfair measurement be used against me? See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the loudest message I want you to hear tonight is that Jesus died for you and rose back from the dead. That's why we're excited. That's why we raise our hands during worship. That's why we're singing our hearts out, because Jesus died for us and changed our lives. But I think for many of the Christians in the room, it's like, if I'm forgiven, then why would sort of like judgment come back on, on me? Well, well, there's kind of, I think, three responses I want to just bring up for this. The first is that it has to do with how we'll be treated here and now. So in other words, we reap what we sow. So if I treat somebody badly then I'm going to reap what I sow. I I just set it up. It's my own fault. If I gossip about somebody, if I walk in the room and I'm bashing somebody and I'm looking down on them and I'm condemning them, even just with my attitude toward them, then sometime, some way, that's coming back on me. I think another answer is that we're going to stand before God one day, right? And that's going to be an amazing moment. And the love of Jesus has you there. The only reason you and I will stand before God has nothing to do with our works. It's because Jesus purchased our salvation and freedom, right? So we're standing there one day, and the Bible tells us that there's going to be rewards for the things that we've done. But the thought on this is, is that sometimes when we don't do the right thing here and now, we're going to miss out on some of the rewards God wanted to give us then. So it's not like we're going to be punished then, but it's just going to kind of be like, hey, you could have had this, now you're going to have this. Now you kind of go, well, that's not fair. Well, hey, guess what? You're standing in heaven and you shouldn't be right? You're standing at Jesus' feet, and you shouldn't be, only because of his grace 
and his mercy. But the third thing I think it means is this. I think what Jesus is driving at in all this is, hey, if you're really a follower of me, don't judge. Don't use false measures. Don't be unfair. Don't weigh too heavily somebody else's sin and weigh your own too lightly. That's not what Christians do. Unfortunately, that's what Christians are known for now in our day. But that's not what Christians do. How, how could we? Because Jesus looked at your sin and my sin and he didn't weigh it heavily for you and me. He actually removed it. And so how could we weigh somebody else's sin and offense too heavily? So I think Jesus is saying, come on, be the real thing. Be my follower. I've changed your life. I've given you a billion chances. I've forgiven you. Every time you come crying to me and you got snot on your face and you go like, Lord, I'll never do that again. I'll never look at that again. I'll never say that again. He goes, all right, you probably will, but I'm going to forgive you anyway. I love you anyway. I want to empower you to live a new way, but if you stumble and you fall, I'm still going to forgive you. And that's the heart we're to have for those that we come across. Instead of, yeah, I knew you were a mess. Yeah, I can confirm that you are a sinner. Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. So, so let's go on a little bit. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, this is a really interesting verse because look at what Jesus is doing here. He is equating the other person's sin to a speck of sawdust. And he's equating your sin to having planks in your eyes. Have you ever had a piece of dust or dirt or something in your eye? What do you do? Well, first thing you do is you kind of just blink your eyes, you know, like you try to like, you know, wash it out, you know. The, the, second, the second thing I normally do is I'll just kind of like pull like this on my eyelashes because somebody once told me it could just be like an eyelash going backwards. And my wife always tells me, you have the longest, prettiest eyelashes. I'm like, yeah, it's doing a lot for me. Thanks so much. Like I would have taken being 6'5 and jacked out of my brain, but I got pretty eyelashes. Awesome. <laughs> God is good. Thank you so much. And so that, that's what I do there. So I pull those a little bit, right? And then if that's not working, I start to kind of like pull the eyelid like this. Is anybody nauseous right now? I'm just, okay, all right, good. So I pull the eyelid there, right? And then what do you do eventually? You, you go up to somebody and you're like, can you see anything in my eye? And I recommend this being someone you know. You don't want to be like first day of school, you know, walking back into the professor's office. Like, can you see anything in here, you know? But, but what's going on there? There is something so small in your eye that you can't even find it, okay? It's like a speck of sawdust. And Jesus is telling us that what you and I tend to do is we tend to go on the hunt for that piece of sawdust, that tiny little speck in somebody else's eye. We're trying to find it. It's like we need a magnifying glass. I'm going to find that. I'm going to find that flaw in them. I'm going to find what's wrong with them. And we're on the hunt. And our heart is, hey, I'm justified in doing this because after all, your sin, that's the biggest deal in this room. And Jesus says, that's not how it's supposed to be. He says, how can you stare intently while you got planks in your eyes? Look at verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I have some sawdust here. And uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try to get the littlest amount possible. I'd say it's about seven pieces of sawdust on my finger right now. My guess is nobody can see it. I don't know if you guys can in the front row. No, probably no one can see the sawdust, right? And so something this small, Jesus is saying, is in your brother or your sister or your spouse or your neighbor's eyes, and you and I walk around like this. 
And here we are going, man, I think I'm seeing something wrong with you. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you got a problem over there. Like, that's the image Jesus is giving us. That's what Jesus is saying we do. And Christians, man, don't we know this is the truth? The way we interact with each other, the way we sometimes interact, especially with those outside these walls. And so you have these huge issues of these planks in front of our eyes. And and just think about it for a second. If I have these in front of my eyes, and I'm trying to find a speck of dust in somebody else's eyes, aren't the planks going to distort my view so that I'm not accurately seeing what's in my brother or sister's eyes? I'll give you an example. Kelly and I had a disagreement a few weeks ago. It was our first one. And uh, we had a disagreement. First one, I should say, I won. No, I was like, um, and so we had a disagreement. And so we're talking things through, and I'm bringing up some things. And I was in, like, litigator mode, man. I, like, had all my, I had my point, my outline, my subpoint, my subplot, my antagonist. I was the protagonist. It was ready. It was the whole plot. And so I'm ready to go for it. And I'm laying out why I'm right and why she's wrong and why I'm great and why she should change and this and that. And, and then eventually she just starts to answer me back. And it really stinks to have a Christian counselor as a wife because it just never goes well for me in my discussions. You know, she's like, well, how does that make you feel? I'm like crying on the couch. I don't know. You know? And so that didn't happen. But uh, eventually, you know what I realized? I realized that all the accusations I had were coming from planks in my eyes. And I was unable, because of these huge planks in my eyes, to see clearly what was going on with her. And so I'm trying to find that little speck of dust in her, and I'm realizing, oh, wow. I think my own sin was distorting my view. And that's what happens when when you and I walk into a room and we think their sin struggle is the biggest problem and the biggest deal in this room. There's no possible way we're seeing clearly. There's no way we are seeing an accurate view of the tiny speck of dust in their eyes. Look what Matthew Henry said, a great theologian and and commentator. He says, our own sins ought to appear greater to us than the same sin in others. So if I struggle with anger and you struggle with anger, my anger should seem worse to me. My anger should be a bigger deal to me than your anger. We so often have this backwards. Verse 5 says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now that's an important verse, because sometimes we hear, oh man, don't judge me. Don't say anything to me. You you have no right to speak into my life. Well, actually, biblically, we do have a right to speak into each other's life, but, but we have to realize how. You see, what Jesus, I think, is trying to drive at here is that every time you and I walk into a room, we're to have the attitude, my sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. My sin struggle. Not theirs. My sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. And when I'm dealing with my sin struggle, I then could come alongside a brother or a sister who has a speck of dust in their eye. And I can help them remove it. Now we gotta talk about that for a second. How would you remove a speck of dust from somebody's eye? Incredibly carefully right like if my kids came running in dad we were in the garage and Landon went over by your saw I'm like does he still have all of his limbs oh yes okay good but he got a speck of dust in his eye I would be so 
gentle with this person that I love, realizing that even though it's a tiny speck of dust, it is still painful. And so what I'm trying to do is remove something painful from the eye of someone that I love. That's the heart we're to have when we ever approach anybody who we think has an issue that we're going to try to help with. That's the heart. First, the planks from our own eyes removed, and then we gently, lovingly, cautiously help remove this painful thing that's in their eye. A few weeks ago, I woke up, went downstairs, and all of a sudden I had this pain on the right side of my eye, and I started doing all my tricks and stuff, and nothing worked. And So I looked in the mirror, and I saw this like bump on my eyeball, and I went out, and I said, Kelly, do you see this? She said, yeah, I see it. So it was a weekend or a night or something. I don't remember what, what happened, but we ended up at a walk-in clinic, and so we go in, and the, the doctor on call did not understand the concept I am sharing with you, fine people, tonight. So we walk in, and... I, I should have known I was in trouble when she looked at it for about 10 minutes and said, Mr. Jansen, I have no idea what that is. Should have run. I should have been like, I have no idea who you are. Bye. Yeah, I should have just been gone, right? And so she proceeded to prick and poke and stab and drop and dilate and shine bright stuffness. And uh, she seemed to enjoy every psychotic second of it. I have to be honest. And Kelly even heard her say something about taking a biopsy of my eye. And she said she had a needle, yay big. And you know what? I think sometimes when we approach the people around us, it's like we got our 15-inch needle in our hand. And we're going, hey, I think there's something wrong with your eye. No wonder the world thinks we're judgmental, hypocritical, angry people. Not to mention We have our needle in our hands and we got these still in our eyes. And so, I think what we have to begin to understand, guys, is that the attitude we're to have is that our sin struggle is always the biggest deal in the room. And if we're going to help anybody, we're going to deal with the planks in our eyes first. And we're going to lovingly, graciously, cautiously try to win somebody back as opposed to let them have it. That's a fine line. That's hard. I'm not a master of this. Trust me. I'm learning. I need to hear this tonight. There are times I want to just let somebody have it. I want to let them know how wrong they were, how much they hurt me or somebody that I love, how off they were. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Then then I've got planks in my eyes. I'm walking around with anger and unforgiveness. And that's the worst sin in the room. And so you and I have to be so careful about how we do this. Now, I think the biggest way that we struggle with this is with the people outside these walls. See, I think we do struggle with it with other Christians. I think that there are times that, that we're not loving toward one another and we're in here judging one another and hypocritically judging one another. And when we do try to say something in love, it usually comes across like with a needle in our hand, you know, and so that whole deal. But I think the worst that it ever is is when we are dealing with people outside the church. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, I'm so sorry if that's ever been your experience. But what so often happens is is we go out of these walls and we see people who maybe aren't living like God would want them to live and we shake our, our fist at them and say, what is wrong with you people? But look at what Paul said. I just want to add this as we head toward the end of the message here. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? He says, are you not to judge those inside? the church. So it's never for me to judge a non-Christian. I'm never supposed to do that. I'm never supposed to look at someone who's not a follower of Jesus 
and shake my fist at them or yell at them or scream at them, be it on social media or not. That's just not supposed to happen. Let's just think about it this way. They're not followers of Jesus. Why would they act like they're followers of Jesus? It feels like that's what we as Christians so often do. Why aren't you you acting more like God wants you to act? Well, I don't follow God. Why would I act like that? I'll give you an example. I wasn't saying I don't follow God. I do. But people out there may not. Um, I'll give you an example. Some of you guys are like, what? Did he just? So so give you an example. Uh, The Mets are doing good, baby. Half game front in the wild card. Thank you very much. And so having fun, enjoying this. So, you know, I have some friends who are not Mets fans, and I come in all excited. I'm jumping up and down. Half game, wild card. We're so excited. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to finally win this year. Looking back, and they're not excited. Why aren't you excited? Because I'm a Yankees fan. Oh, well, then you wouldn't be excited about what I'm excited about. You're not following the team I follow. You're not passionate, excited about the team I follow. You don't know all their stats and all their names and all their stuff. So you're not going to follow that way. And so we leave the building and we go, why aren't you excited about Jesus? Why aren't you excited about Jesus? Oh, because you're a Yankee fan. You can take that however you want. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I walk outside the building. I just offended you all. Forgive me. Remove the planks from my eyes. I'm very sorry. Walk outside the building. Oh, because you're not a Jesus follower. So you're not excited about Jesus. Oh, therefore, you're not aiming at living for Jesus. So therefore, I shouldn't expect you to. Instead, I will try to win you over with love. And I will try to show you the difference that God made in my life. And I'll pray for you. And I'll encourage you. And I'll be there for you. And I'll be someone that can listen and can talk and can you know, work through questions and objections. And man, I, I'm just happy to be in a friendship with you. That's the heart we have toward anybody outside the church. And anybody who calls themselves a Christian, we're able to walk alongside them and in Paul's word, judge them. But that's a different kind of judging that Jesus is talking about than most of us are used to, right? The judging we're used to is this harsh, nasty, we're going to get you out of here. We never want to see you again until you straighten yourself out. And now the judging Paul and Jesus bring up is remove the planks, come along, deal with it like the tiny piece of speck of sawdust in somebody's eye, remembering that your sin struggle is the biggest deal in this room, trying to win them back, trying to remove a foreign object from their body, from their eye that's devastating to them so that they can see again. That's the heart you're to have. That's the heart that I am to have. And so what I hope that you're seeing here today is that we're always to have the attitude that my sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. You're like, well, what, what room are you talking about, Doug? Whatever room you walk into. I don't care if you're doing prison ministry out in Riverhead. You're dealing with people who have done some terrible things. You know what? We have the attitude, my sin struggle is a bigger deal than yours, man. You might be on the other side of those bars, but my sin struggle is the biggest deal in this room. That's always the attitude we are to have because that's the attitude that wins people over. That's the attitude that allows us to walk in the humility that Jesus desires us to walk in. Now, some of you guys might be saying, but Doug, this isn't really fair because my sin struggle literally isn't always the biggest deal in the room. If you just look at it at a face value type thing, you know, I mean, you might say, I've met someone who's murdered somebody and I might struggle with anger. There's no way those are on the same scale. But yet Jesus, in the same Sermon on the Mount, what's he say? He says, oh, great, you're all excited you haven't murdered anybody, but if you have anger in your heart, it's the same deal. Level playing field. 
And so we are always able to look at ourselves as the biggest problem in the room. Now, the point of this message is not to turn everybody into Eeyore, right? I'm just a failure. Can't get anything right, right? That's not the point of the message. Because what, I mean, what's the, what's the point of Christianity? The point of Christianity is my sins are forgiven. That's good news. I'm Holy Spirit filled. That's good news. I'm empowered to live a different way. That's good news. I'm going to change as I get closer to Jesus. That's good news. I'm going to grow the struggles I used to have. God's helping me. He's pushing me forward. I'm getting near to him and I'm leaving some struggles behind. So that's good news. So this is not we all stink and oh well, let's just give up. No, let's keep growing. Let's keep being like Jesus. Let's keep getting near to God and finding freedom. But the humble attitude that we're seeing Jesus call us to in these verses is to always see my sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. And when we act this way, then we're going to interact with people differently. We're going to walk in humility instead of pride, recognizing that everything we have is by the grace of God. We're going to have grace flowing out of us instead of judgment and a critical spirit. We're going to have love instead of anger. And we're going to attract people instead of repelling them. As followers of Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do. Just imagine how this would impact the areas of your life. Like those of you in the room that are married, imagine, this is tough, guys. I'm with you. Imagine every single time you're in that room talking with the spouse and disagreement. It's hard to have this attitude, but what would it do if you both had the attitude, my sin struggle is the biggest deal in this room? Start arguing over who has the bigger sin struggle. Mine's bigger. Mine, no, mine. Just wonder what would happen, right? What would happen in in your relationships, some of you guys who live with mom and dad still, walking through the door tonight and kind of going from like chip on the shoulder. Like I remember remember being, I don't know, teenager. Couldn't tell you the exact year, but I remember being a teenager and have a conversation with my dad who's this infinitely wise, amazing guy and quite large and could have like bashed me into the ground if you wanted to in in one, one shot. But I remember talking to him like, man, I knew so much more than him. And I had life figured all out. And I just wondered, what would happen if you went home and you realized, okay, hey, mom and dad are flawed. But my sin struggle is the biggest one in this room. What would that look like? Maybe some of you guys um, have a critical edge. What if that was just gone? What if it was a graceful edge? What if it was a, an, a, a part of you that was always trying to believe the best, always trying to, to fight, to defend others? When, when somebody else walked in the room with that attitude of their sin struggles the worst, you were there to, to, to you know, make sure that that person was stood up for. And I mean, just, just what if that critical side was gone? Imagine how we would relate to people who don't follow Jesus. Imagine what that would look like if if you and I were to interact with people who don't believe in Jesus and instead of angrily shaking our fists and telling them that they're doing everything wrong, what if we even got to the point where we opened up about what we do wrong? What if we shared our struggles instead of pointed out theirs? What if we were real enough to say, hey, this is what I'm going through right now and I'm just just praying God will get me through it. This is my struggle. Or, Or hey, I see you're struggling with that. I struggle with that too. And I just want you to know that God's given me some peace and God's starting to help me and he's starting to show me that he's going to carry me through this. I I would just love for for Christians to be rebranded as genuine, honest, open, loving, compassionate people. 
We can still follow Jesus and be that. That's what Jesus was, the friend of sinners. And so what would that look like? We don't have to compromise biblically on this. We don't have to start taking sections of Scripture and throwing them out and deciding they're not applicable for today. No, we can still believe all that the Scripture tells us and attract those who are far from him, just like Jesus did, full of grace and truth. This could pull some, put some relationships back, right? Some of you guys are waiting to forgive somebody until they acknowledge how sinful they are. And what if you decide, you know what? While they may be sinful and they've done some things that are really wrong and hurtful, my sin struggle is the biggest problem here. Maybe my anger and unforgiveness toward what they did to me, I need to see as the biggest problem or deal in this situation. And I always try to say this every time we talk about anything like this. If it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, stuff like that, you can forgive people from a distance. Don't let them back into your life to keep on doing that stuff to you. But we can certainly, for the rest of us who I would say probably the majority of us are not in those types of situations, we can just humble ourselves and say, okay, I'm a part of this problem too. In fact, I'm going to view, I'm going to choose to view my sin as the bigger problem in this situation. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what needs to change? What needs to change? Is there a group of people, right, a type of person that when they walk into the area that you're in, you instantly have your guard up and you think, I don't want anything to do with those people. That's something to pray about. Is there a certain person that you're in a, you've had a relationship with in the past and, and as soon as they enter the room, there's a, oh man, you're a mess and I'm, I'm, I'm good. There's a, your, your sin is the biggest problem in this room type attitude going. Then that's something that you gotta bring to God. And the beautiful thing is, guys, is that the, the, the answer to all this is just being close to Jesus. Because the closer we are to Jesus, the more like Jesus we are. The closer we are to Jesus, the more, the more we recognize his incredible forgiveness of us and our own flaws, and the more we're willing then to extend that to others. And so, what needs to change? What attitude needs to change? What person or people group do you need to treat differently and try to win over instead of convinced that they're wrong? sinful. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you're seeing our true honest desire to live like Jesus lived and to reach people where they're at and to ask forgiveness for the way that we as Christians maybe have acted for a long time. I hope tonight the loudest message you're hearing is that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose again and he longs for you to know the freedom of a relationship with him. And so in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to put your trust in Jesus, and uh, really, Jesus saves you. It's not a prayer or a decision. It's all about him, but I'm going to give you just a few words to say if you'd like to sort of begin a conversation with him, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it's always, always, always the heart that we're to have that my sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. Let's pray. So God, we bring to you, Lord, our struggles. We bring to you, Lord, the sin in our lives, and, and um, God, we want to get better at this. We want to be different, God. We want to live a new way. God, we don't want to stay the same. God, there's not, I don't think there's one person in this room who desires to be critical, whose goal it is to be judgmental, who desires to keep planks in our own eyes and, and point out everybody else's specks of dust. God, I don't think that's any of our hearts. And so I just pray you'll help us, God. Show us, Lord, is there a people group or is there a person that we need to have an attitude change about? And would you help us to live like you did, Jesus? So empower us, God. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about some of the things we talked about tonight? If you have some planks in your eyes that need to be removed, would you just confess maybe some sin to God and ask him to remove those things? 
you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him tonight. So if you'd like to do that, maybe, like I said, it, it, it's, it's his grace that saves you. But if you want to begin a conversation with him in this relationship, then you could just pray something like this silently to God. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for your incredible love. Thank you, God, for doing the unthinkable, saving me, rescuing me, forgiving me. Would you show me how real you are? And would you enable me to live a new life? Thank you for your love and your name.